Very early on in my own journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I found myself uh, both challenged and inspired by a popular best-selling book of that day. It has been a perennial bestseller ever since then. I'm speaking of Harvard psychologist M. Scott Peck's classic work, The Road Less Traveled. One of the striking things about this monumental book is the way it opens. For the very first uh, sentence of the book, which is actually the entire first paragraph of the book, is a sentence that you never forget once you've read it. It simply reads, life is difficult. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. Now, I am pretty sure that most of us listening into this reflection today find that statement not really much of a revelation. Each of us, in our own way, has experienced trials and tribulations. We've faced our own share of pains and losses over the course of life's journey. We've been confronted daily now with news of violence and and outrage of of conflict and confusion, of illness and struggle and reversal in all different aspects of our culture and world. But there yet remains a sense in which you can be aware of all of that and still not really fully get the import of those words, life is difficult. Dr. Peck goes on to write, most do not fully see this truth, that life is difficult. They, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily, or maybe very subtly about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, their difficulties, as if life were generally easy in other respects. As if it should be easy ought to be easy. They voice their belief that their difficulties represent a a, a unique kind of affliction that should not be, and, and that somehow has been especially visited upon them, or upon their family, or their tribe, or their class, or their nation, or their race, a, a special kind of difficulty that's been given to them and not to others. It strikes me that it's, that it's easy to develop this kind of a mindset. Uh, it's easy to develop a, a condition that I call mebola. It, it, it's an affliction that is, is marked out uh, by, by the principal sign in the patient of a, of a pattern of behavior of moving around in life, whether outspokenly or secretly, saying, Why me? Why me? Why am I suffering these kinds of difficulties right now? Why is she or he treating me this way? Why am I facing this obstacle or this struggle? Why is my life so hard right now? Why am I being exhausted or mistreated? Why isn't life working better or easier for me? Now, we come by this 
Mebola, I think, honestly. Because we live in a world where the cultures around us are constantly sneezing out towards us these idea germs. And, and, and some of those idea germs are uh, aggregate in our system in a way that over time forms this particular way of, of looking at life. And so one of the germs is this idea that floats around, you've encountered it, that if there was truly a loving God at the helm of this universe, then, then surely we would not have any pain. I mean, if he was all loving and all powerful, there would be no pain. Have you, have you soaked that one in at any point in your life? Or we hear often, particularly this season, if such and such a candidate or such and such, such a party was in power and that other one was out of power, everything would be much easier. <laughs> Things would work much better. Or, or if you had the right investment advisor, your, your future would not be difficult. Or if you drank this particular beer, or you drove this particular car, or used that particular cologne or makeup, or applied this strategy with your kids or your spouse, then life could finally get easy. You'd have the easy button available to you all of the time. Have you heard these messages? Have you encountered them in the world in which we are living today? Here, however is, is the, the truth that it's so vital we try and, and really absorb in all of its import. Life is difficult. This present life, this season of history, is just plain difficult. I remember as a young man really taking that reality in. And, and my awareness of it I, has just grown o- over the years. When I was a, a high school student, I had lost my maternal uh, grandfather to suicide. I had lost my uh, paternal grandfather to a heart attack at an unusually young age. My young, handsome uncle had been killed by bank robbers and an older uncle who I really looked up to at the prime of his life had been devastated and basically reduced to hardly any function by an awful stroke. Before I left high school, our family was torn apart by a divorce and the home, the beautiful home in which we lived, ravaged by a great fire. And in short order, I would see my mother get cancer, my cousin would be murdered, and it would go on. And on like this for quite a while. I hated what was happening to me in this time. It was an awful experience. I would wish it upon nobody else. But I was an atheist. And so I was not surprised. You see, it occurred to me that we live in a universe whose principal characteristic is cold, dark, death, and decay. Everywhere we look in the cosmos. That's the normative reality. That's what I knew existed. And so these ravages, though they hurt, were not surprising to me. And because I expected there to be no benevolent God at work in the universe in any such way, I did not find myself surprised that 
that this world was not different than it was. Human beings, after all, were little more than well-dressed animals. Life was going to be tooth and claw. People were going to hurt each other and do terrible acts of violence. Of course, life was difficult. To me, the intriguing question, the question that began to grow more and more as time went on, is why, given those basic conditions, there is any light and laughter and love and, and, and uh, grace at all. It, it was the presence of grace, actually. Uh, the presence of, of, of a power of hope and of beauty and of goodness and of relationship in the midst of this barren context of our universe that was the mystery. It was the problem that had to be solved from my vantage point. Why was there this uprising grace against the gravity of life? How, how did that happen? What was the source of that? And I came finally to believe in increasing measure that this source was, in fact, a someone. That there was indeed an intelligence, a presence, a being who existed at a level that my little ant-sized mind could never even hope to really take in, who had somehow amazingly revealed himself to us. And as I began to, to study the Bible, the the Christian scriptures seriously for the first time, a larger picture of reality began to form for me. The creation, this, this world we live in, has been broken. It's been infected. It's been set off its axis in some critical way by what the Bible calls sin. Something about Humanity's willful rejection of the creator, something about the determination of human beings to largely live their life as functional atheists, whether they think of themselves in those terms or, or not, something about this separation that grew up between human beings and the source of all life and love and laughter and love himself has broken things. And that, that breaking has had a cascading set of consequences in this life. There is now a level of difficulty to this world that was once not so. And that difficulty afflicts us physically, socially, morally, spiritually. But the good news that, that I found proclaimed in the Christian gospel was that God feels this giant agony. God is not some insensible being who wound up the world, set it on a table like a, like a pocket watch and walked out of the room. God is intimately concerned about what's happening on this planet. He sees the ravages of ISIS. He sees the devastation of cancer. He, he feels the agony of children dying unnecessarily. He, 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 he aches in himself over the brokenness of so many of our relationships. 
And this God has promised that there is going to come a day when he's going to make these things not so again. He's promised that he will restore his creation to its original glory one day. And he's given us a foretaste of that ultimate redemption in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He's shown us what humanity can look like again And he's shown us his power to accomplish that restoration by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. The brilliant Russian, Fyodor Dostoevsky, sums up the truth this way in his most famous novel. I believe, like a child, that suffering will be healed. Let me read that to you again. I believe like a child believes, with a childlike trust that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish one day like a pitiful mirage. I believe that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious is going to come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts. It will suffice for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they have shed, and that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened up until this moment. Now, I I know that's hard to believe. I, I know that that will seem to many of us like wishful thinking. Just wishful thinking. And, and, and commenting on this, Tim Keller reminds us of the words of C.S. Lewis on this subject. And I want to especially invite you to listen to this. If you're going through difficulties right now, or somebody that you love and adore is going through profound agonies right now. The atheists say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can possibly make up for it. Right? No pie in the sky when you die is going to make up for the horror of what that mother felt when those savages beheaded her son. Right? We understand that feeling. But Lewis goes on and says, this is only because their minds cannot yet imagine the wonder. It's only because we're just not able cognitively to take in The way time and space work fully in the hands of God. The wonder that heaven, once it is attained, will actually work backwards and will turn even that agony into a glory. Jesus put it this way to his disciples. In John chapter 16. And when I heard this verse for the very first time, I was a college student. 
And this vision of life was just starting to break in for me. This verse touched me so deeply. I memorized it. I have never been able to forget this powerful verse. John chapter 16, verse 33. I am telling you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have troubles. Why? Life's difficult. But take heart. Be brave. For I have overcome this world. One of the characteristics of Christian people... Uh, Christian families, small groups, communities of various kinds is that they are unusually resilient in the face of life's pains and pressures because they take Jesus at his word right here. Deeply Christian people and communities choose to take Christ At his word here. They know they should expect troubles. Okay? They don't walk through this world, you know, outraged, offended, surprised, shocked by the pain of of this life. They, They have learned to expect troubles because Jesus said they're coming. This in this world you will suffer. In this world you will have troubles. This is a fallen world, and life is going to be difficult here. As a legendary rock band, R.E.M., puts it in one of their most famous songs, everybody hurts sometimes. Right? Everybody hurts. There are going to be periods, as the rock song goes on to say, when you feel like you're all alone and the days and nights are long, yet you've got to hold on. Hold on. Hold on. For Christ is going to overcome everything that is wrong. Please remind the people in your circle of influence of this reality. Don't let any kid in your house grow up thinking, believing the stuff being sneezed at them. Don't let them develop this mebola condition. Let them know from their earliest age, life's tough. In this broken world, it's going to be hard. you got to expect troubles. I mean, you might get bullied at school. You know, you, you, you might be rejected by a group of friends. You might be cut from the team. You may be dumped by your heart throb. You may not get a yes answer when you say, please go with me to homecoming. You may find yourself not getting into the college or into the company of your particular choice. You may struggle at moments to find your way on the path of life. You may face financial reversals. You may struggle in your marriage. You may experience attacks from enemies. You may uh, discover you've been betrayed by friends. Even the shadow of death may fall cold and hard over you at times. But believe this, in me, says Jesus, you can still find peace. Put your life into the life of Jesus, dear child, dear friend. And you will still find peace. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, said St. Paul, who had been shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, lacerated in every single way, who had experienced difficulties at a level you and I, frankly, most of us haven't yet even experienced them. Yet he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble do it? Shall trouble do it? Or hardship or persecution or famine? Shall nakedness, shall danger or sword? No, he says in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is a fascinating irony in this statement, life is difficult. And Peck goes on in his book, The Road Less Traveled, to point it out. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, as I would say, once we have learned to expect troubles, then life is no longer so difficult. That's the paradox. That's the irony. Because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters so much. It is no longer the focus of our attention. Something happens to us that's hard, really, really hard. We don't go to a why me place. We just don't go there. It's not our focus in that moment when we know to expect troubles. Now, the focus shifts for us to what are we going to do with these struggles in the midst of this pain. Hear me clearly on this. The most unbreakable communities and people do not learn simply to expect troubles. They learn to embrace troubles. They learn to embrace troubles. Now, I don't mean they become masochists, going, oh, goody, more pain, right? Oh, just beat me some more, life. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the most resilient people in this world are those who have made the decision, even though it's hard to hold this decision sometimes, admittedly, to, to, to view their difficulties not as insurmountable obstacles, to a meaningful life, but instead as opportunities to enter into a deeper life. They embrace the potential of troubles to lead them actually into a deeper kind of life. I, I saw that lesson play out in the life of a woman I knew named Judy. I was a young pastor in San Diego. Judy had walked into my church one day. She had had a life that was charmed in all kinds of ways. Um, but in recent days, she had experienced a level of trouble that was pretty tough. She had cancer. Uh, she had stage four cancer. She had stage four cancer and kids. 
She had stage four cancer, kids, no husband. She had stage four cancer, kids, no husband, and financial difficulties. And I walked with Judy to the grave. And along that journey, I I remember being in her home one day. Her, her, Her two kids, they were young adults, older teenagers, and one in his early 20s. And I was trying to connect with them, you know? I was trying to get raw and real with them in a way that would say, I understand, I feel what's going on, you can trust me. I'm not going to give you some kind of Pollyanna explanation for what's happening for you right now. And so I said, Judy, there have to be times when you just want to shake your fist at heaven and say, why me? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why me? And she said to me, not really. I mean, I've had moments like that, she said. But they're far, few and far in between. She said, you know, really, more often what I think is, why not me? I mean, so many other people have struggles and pains and tough times. I, I, I've, been, I've lived a charmed life in so many ways. Why not me? And more and more, she said, you know what my mind really runs to is how blessed I am. And she looked over at her, at her boys at this point. Tears filled up her eyes. She said, you know, before I had this illness, she said, I was not close to God. You know, I was racing around doing all other kinds. I wasn't even paying attention to you guys very much at the level you deserve. And strangely, this disease has brought me closer to God, closer to you. It's stripped away a lot of the pettiness in my life and the, 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 the lousy priorities that I had. It's opened up my heart to all the other people around me who are in... In pain. And I was blind to most of the time. All the struggles of other people. So Dan, if you ask me, would I want to have cancer again? Judy said, the answer would be no. But, but if you asked me, would I want to lose all that I have learned about living and loving in the process of my dying? I would have to say, never. I wouldn't want to lose that. I wouldn't want to lose what this experience has taught me. I don't know if you can relate to any of this. But what I do know is We do not get to choose whether or not we will suffer in this life. Why? Because life is what? It's difficult. Yeah. What we get to choose is what we do with the difficulty. Right? That's what we do get to choose. How we respond. In fact, do you know that the the Christian understanding of the word suffering... 
does not equate to pain. If you read the ancient Christian theologians on this subject, they believe that, that suffering was the sum of pain and response. They, they believed that suffering was actually potentially an enormously redemptive experience if, it was, if the pain was made available to God and to what he can do with us, even in the midst of the pain. We get to choose whether we let our trials make us bitter or make us better. We get to choose whether they will become a barrier to intimacy with God and with other people or a bridge to those very connections. In his letter to the Philippian church, the apostle Paul says that he would be willing to lose everything. He'd suffered all these other experiences. He'd be willing to lose even more, he said, if that's what it took for him to really know Christ, to really become like him. Through the experience of these trials. Please remember Paul. Please remember my friend Judy. And think. Maybe. What I'm going through right now. What my loved ones are going through right now. Could be an opportunity. For the work of Christ in me. Now, let me just say, it is entirely possible that some of these difficulties that you or somebody that you care about is, is going through right now is just the anguish of a world that is waiting for its final redemption. Okay? It's possible that you will never see the sense of it in this life. That's okay. There will be things that we'll go to the grave wondering about. It's possible that's what's happening right now. Maybe you shouldn't overthink them. Maybe we don't don't yet have the circuitry to understand how God's providence works. Maybe God's word to you or God's word through you to somebody else out there is this. Hold on. Just hold on. Remain in me. Because I'm going to overcome it one day, I promise. I'm going to make it all untrue. But it's also possible that God's message to you or his message through you to someone else in your circle is something else. When Michelangelo, the great Renaissance artist, was asked once how he managed to take this massive hunk of rock and transform it into his most magnificent arguably most magnificent masterpiece, the David, the David statue. When he was asked how he'd managed to do that, he says, it's simple. I just cut away everything that wasn't David. What if God has a vision of who you are at your most? At your most possible. As he intended you to be. Like Jesus. What if he sees it? In you. Commenting on that possibility. C.S. Lewis once wondered. 
if maybe trials and tribulations were not the chisel that God used to cut away everything that had to be cut away. And Lewis speculated that though this chisel, the blows of the chisel understandably hurt for a season, it is to carve out a humility that makes you more available to God. It is to carve out a compassion that moves you towards others. It is to shape in you a character more and more like Jesus Christ. In short, what if your life is difficult because God is intent upon making you a masterpiece? Could that be possible? We are about out of time for today. And so let me just summarize what I hope we've learned and send you on your way. The most unbreakable groups, families, communities, teams of any kind that produce the most resilient kinds of people have got these six strands that weave through the cord of their life together. First and foremost, they deeply commit to one another. They say, I'm here for you. And if you don't even believe in God, you lean on me, I'll lean on Jesus. I'm here for you. I commit to you. Secondly, they encourage one another. They recognize that there are challenges out there that are constantly sapping our courage. And so they are committed to appreciating, valuing, celebrating, naming, lifting up, challenging. They encourage one another. Thirdly, they communicate with one another. They stop, look, and listen to one another in an unusual way. They, fourthly, spend significant time together. I mean, some of the time they spend together are the best days of their lives. And they seek communion with God together because they are not going to try and do life on their own. They purposely look for opportunities to commune with the one who is the fount and founder of that life and laughter and love and light that we've been talking about. And finally, they both expect pain. And they embrace the potential of life's troubles together. Doing all of this, it strikes me, is difficult in itself. So why might you pour more of yourself into that sort of difficult engagement with your family, your small group, your circle of friends, your team in the days ahead? Why might you do it? Why bother with the effort? The answer is because God, if you do this, will use these practices to make the cord of your community and the cord of your character and the cord of the character of the people your community produces nearly unbreakable. Please pray with me.
Our gracious God, until that day when we enter into our ultimate and imperishable home, help each and all of us to play an active part in creating communities that are a foretaste of that home. Help us to create communities that shape people able to stand with resilience and hope and courage before the challenges of this life. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.